The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Mark chapter 4. Well, as we have made our way through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen various, various reactions to the ministry of Jesus. There's a great curiosity around who he is and around what he's doing. The reactions have been sort of all over the map thus far. Sinners and tax collectors want to hang out with him. The sick and the needy, those that are infirmed, want something from him. His family, well, they think he's crazy that he's lost his mind. And the religious elite of Jesus' day want to get rid of him. Now, previous to this section of Scripture that we're looking at today, Jesus gives a serious warning to the scribes of the Pharisees. You see, after performing a miracle that was undeniable, Matthew's gospel tells us what that miracle was, that he had healed a man that was possessed by a demon and was both blind and mute. And when people began to question, they they were asking the question, is this the son of David? That was a, a messianic reference to the promised king who would come as a son of David, the root of Jesse, and, and deliver Israel once again. And they, they were saying, is, is, this, is this Jesus? Is this the son of David, the one that God has promised? And the scribes responded to this crowd that's asking this question by saying, he's, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So they see this, this miracle that's undeniable. And they respond, well, he's possessed with the devil, and by the power of the prince of devils, he casts out demons. And Jesus answers back by telling them, your argument doesn't even make any sense. Your logic is not coherent. In chapter 3, if you just want to peek back there with me, in, in, in verses 24 to 27, he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand it. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If... And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's coming to an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. So Jesus makes this huge statement about what's really going on in the hearts of those who made the accusation. And then he goes on in the subsequent verses to tell them that they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he says, all manner of sins and and even blasphemies will be forgiven. But the blasphemy of the the Holy Spirit is an eternal sin. That's heavy, what he's saying there. All manner of blasphemies and sins will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness of sin, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, as Paul pointed out last week, the sin was a stubborn, persistent denial of what the Holy Spirit was revealing to them about Jesus. In essence, the unwillingness to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives was cutting them off from the only hope they have of salvation. By denying what the Holy Spirit was showing them, They're denying the only chance they have to repent and to be saved. And they did this in the face of irrefutable evidence, simply because they did not like the implications of facing the fact that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that God had promised. Now, this is a very important fact as we consider the parables in our passage today. Jesus is going to explain through the parables what is happening in the hearts of people who both reject and those who also receive the gospel, the good news, that Jesus is God's promised saving Messiah, his king. So let's let's dive in. Now, because this this is a larger section of text today where we're going to read and then dissect each section as we go. And and so it's going to be helpful to give you the outline for today that will help frame our content in this passage. So our outline looks like this. Verses 1 through 20, 
hearing and the heart. Hearing and the heart. Verses 21 to 25, hearing and sharing. Hearing and sharing. And verses 26 to 34, hearing and growing. Hearing and growing. So hear, share, grow. This is the life cycle of a disciple. Hear, share, and grow. So let's dive in. Let's take a look at uh, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in the parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. And some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since there was no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And then he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away that which is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away and others are the ones sown among the thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So in our first section here, we're going to talk about hearing and the heart. Hearing and the heart. I really appreciate the definition that is offered by Dave Hansen in his book, The Art of Pastoring, for what a parable is. He says, a parable is a story meant to create a comparison between a known thing and an unknown thing. The purpose being to illuminate the unknown thing so as to bring something new, unforeseen, and surprising to the hearer. And here, Jesus is again being pressed by the crowds and has to retreat into a boat to do his teaching. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus taught many things in the parables. Now, to us, this story here is a, it's a well-known story. It's one that Jesus taught, but it's, it's somewhat famous in Christendom. And we kind of already jumped to the interpretation. But to the original audience, it may have left them a little bit stupefied. 
We only understand it because Jesus explains the meaning after he's alone with his disciples, according to verse 10. But, but imagine being there, sitting on the shore while Jesus is in the boat, and then Jesus rattles off verses 3 through 9, and he tells this story. A guy goes out to sow in a field. Some seed falls on the, the ground. The birds pick it up. Other seed falls uh, you know, among the rocks, and then the sun comes out, and it, the seed dies, and then, and then he just leaves the story, and that's it. No explanation. Can you see what's, what's going on there? People are like, and the point is, what, what, what is it that you're getting at? See, on its own, the story is missing any clues to really understand what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate to his crowd. And what's interesting to see is the way that Jesus appears to be content with leaving his audience without understanding. He just sort of lets the story hang there in the air without any real application. He concludes by simply saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. (laughs) And then he moves on. And that's it. Now, verse 10 tells us that when the disciples and some others were alone with Jesus, they began to ask him about the parables. And Jesus then gives them a brief explanation of the purpose of the parables and and what it is that he's actually doing. Now, notice in verses 11 and 12 what it says there. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting Isaiah here at the end of verse 12. Now, it's helpful to understand what the word secret that is used here by Jesus actually means. The word in the Greek is mysterion. And in this instance, it refers primarily to the hidden or the the unexpected nature of God's work. What is the the unexpected, the the mystery that, that Jesus is revealing to his disciples, but not to everyone? He's sort of masking it through the use of parables. I think uh, the Faith Life Study Bible actually gives us a very helpful note to understand this. Oh, by the way, quick plug. Faith Life Study Bible. If if you don't have that, you can download the the Logos Bible app. Faith Life Study Bible, fantastic notes on Scripture. It's a great study aid tool. I highly encourage it. It's something you'll find very useful. Well, in, in the Faith Life Study Bible, it says this. Jesus paraphrases Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, in which God asks the prophet Isaiah to allow the people to continue on the path of disobedience that they have previously selected. This fits with Jesus' overall message that he has come for sinners who are willing to repent and that the self-proclaimed righteous may find themselves in opposition to God's purposes. Jesus does not aim to convince the religious authorities to change their way. Instead, as Jesus understands it, they should already know better. It is those who desire salvation or, or, all, or, or already feel desperation who understand his message. That's what the, the Faith Life Study Bible says. That's super helpful. In that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, the first part of it is Isaiah's call to ministry in which a a coal is taken from the altar and touched to his lips. And and Isaiah says, "Here, here I am, Lord, send me. And God says, I'm going to send you and you're going to speak truth. Yes, absolutely. But they're not going to hear you. They're not going to understand. They're going to continue in their stubbornness and their hard-heartedness. I, I, I love this quote by Mark Twain. Mark Twain, if you're familiar with any of his writing, he, he's got a humorous way of saying things. He says this about the Bible. He said, some people are troubled by the things in the Bible that they can't understand. He said, but what troubles me are the things I can understand. <laughs> you know, this pairs really well 
with our understanding of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that for the curious who draw near, he reveals the mystery of the kingdom. But to those who don't have the heart to hear, don't want to understand, and don't want to respond accordingly, he is content to let them go on in their stubbornness. You see, there's too many people that want to understand the kingdom, who, who want to come to repentance, who want to be a part of the kingdom, to waste his energy fighting with those who don't. Jesus doesn't want to cast his pearls before swine. Jesus doesn't want to take the treasure of the kingdom and try and force feed it into those around him who have no interest in it being true. There's actually this this deep hope in them that it isn't true. That's what they're really hoping. They don't want to come under the authority of King Jesus. They They don't want to know that they were created and that they're accountable to the creator, the one who made them. They don't want to know they've been bought with a price. Rather, Jesus shifts his energy to the most fruitful field of labor. The most fruitful field of labor is with those that are ready to receive, ready to learn and grow. And that is where Jesus is making his focused investment. Now imagine you're on a, on a rescue boat that's been sent out to rescue a ship that is sinking. And when you get there, there are people everywhere in the water. And so you, you, you grab the rescue life buoy, the little donut, orange and white ring that's attached to a rope, and you begin to throw it out. And you, you find somebody there in the sea and you throw it out to them. Meanwhile, that person, they, just, they kind of just push it away and say, no, it's, it's all right, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need anything from you. You say, hey, you're going to drown. You're way out here in the middle of the ocean. Like, you, you, you need this. And so you, you pull the line back in and you throw it back out to them only to have them bat it away again. Meanwhile, all around in the water are people who are crying out, help me, I can't help myself. I can't do it on my own. Where is your energy better spent? You see, Jesus is triaging the mixed multitude of the people that are in the crowds. Those that want to understand the kingdom and are longing for the Messiah to come, they draw near. When a parable is spoken, they go, what were you talking about there? What does that mean? They want to understand. They draw near to understand. They ask questions. They're ready to receive. Jesus doesn't want to argue people into the kingdom. Jesus doesn't want to intellectually pummel them into submission. No, Jesus doesn't do that at all. And what's interesting is that's exactly what he taught his disciples as well. Do you remember? When he sent his disciples out in Paris, he said to them, go out, proclaim the kingdom, the gospel, the good news that God's kingdom is coming, that it's here And whatever place they receive you, go in and and, and be welcomed in that place. But if they reject you, leave and shake the dust off your feet from that place. Now, ultimately, this is about the stewardship of Jesus' resources and time. Now, in the rest of our passage, we'll see that Jesus casts seeds to all that would hear. But hearing was not the issue. Rather, how they hear is the issue. What is taking place in the heart is the issue. In the same way, those of you who have gathered here this morning today have gathered in the name of Jesus, and that's great. Those of you who are online have tuned in online to hear the Word of God. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but, but I'm going to tell you something. It's not nearly enough. 
I'm glad you're here with us. But it isn't enough to merely hear what is being said. You could be in the building or online. You could jot notes in the margins of your Bible. You know, sadly, actually, if you think about this, there are great many attenders to services, note takers who write notes in the margins of their Bible, and, and even a great many theologians whose life study is surrounding the scriptures who will ultimately land in hell. That's the reality. Not because they didn't hear, but because of what happened in their hearts as they heard. So let's pay attention to how Jesus breaks down this parable here because he's getting at something that's very important and pertinent to us today as hearers of the good news, as hearers of the gospel. So Jesus goes on to explain the parable to the disciples. Notice that Jesus is saying that the parable of the sower is this interpretive key that brings understanding to the other kingdom parables, which we'll get into later. We're going to see this play out a little bit later uh, when we talk about some of the other parables. But in verse 13, he says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus explains that the seed is the gospel message. This is the same gospel message that he's been proclaiming since chapter 1 of the gospel of Mark. Remember, he comes out of the desert after defeating Satan, and he immediately starts preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What what is this idea of the gospel of the kingdom of God? It's simply this. The, The world started out created by a good God, and it was a good place. He looked at everything that he said, or everything that he made, and he said it was good. And then sin entered in, and the world became broken, fractured. But God didn't give up on the world. He promised that he would build a kingdom for himself, a place where he could be our God, and we could be his people, and we would live in relational joy with one another, in relational harmony with one another forever and ever. And the rest of the unfolding of the the Old Testament on into the New is the story of God promising that that kingdom is coming. And when Jesus shows up, the king is here. And then you guys know how the story continues on. Jesus is, is killed. He's placed upon the cross. He's crucified. And that that seems like a tragic end to our story. Oh, oh no, we killed the king. But then he's raised three days later from the dead. And he, he launches off the Mount of Olives up to heaven, occupies a throne in heaven and says, I'm coming back and I'm going to finish what I've started. Now go out and tell everybody the fullness of the kingdom is coming. That's the, that's the whole of the gospel message. And so Jesus says that this word about the kingdom is being spread around like seed. Now you think of sowers in Bible times. A lot of times they would just have a bag of seed, and especially with something that uh, is like wheat or grain, 
they would take this bag of seed, and they didn't have those little crank things, you know, that you go through your lawn with and, and, and crank out the seeds. So they had a way of just grabbing a hold of it and then casting the seed. And they would just sort of fling it, and it would spray the seed out everywhere on the tilled soil. And that was how they would plant their fields. And Jesus says here that the gospel message is that seed. He begins to break down the parable by saying that the sower sows the word or the message of the kingdom of God. Then he tells them what the soils represent. The soils represent conditions in the heart of those that receive the seed or hear the gospel message. Now notice the way that Jesus repeats one phrase over and over in the passage. In verse 15, when they hear, verse 16, when they hear the word. Verse 18, those who hear the word. Verse 20, the ones who hear the word and accept it. Now this idea of of hearing is all over the scriptures. Mitch reminded me of that in our, our sermon review time this last week. He was pointing out, and even, even if you go back to Deuteronomy, the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? This idea of hearing is an important one. And the picture is clear. There's a mixed crowd of people who are all hearing the word of the kingdom or this understanding that God is building his kingdom through Jesus. But not everyone responds in the same way. And this has to do with the condition of the soil of their hearts. He categorizes the different types of hearers into these four soils. Now, for the simplicity of understanding the point, let's break them down just a little. So here's here's an easy way to remember this. Verse 15 is the hard heart. Verses 16 and 17, the shallow heart. Verses 18 to 19, the crowded heart. And verse 20, the fruitful heart. That's how we're going to look at this, these four soils here. So let's start with the hard heart. This is the seed that is sown on the pathway. This is the part where it it gets trodden down through traffic, right? The, the, The tilled soil is beat down and it's got a hard pan surface on the top of it. Now this person receives the gospel seed, but it never gets below the surface, This makes it easy for the enemy to come and steal away what has been given to it. It's important to realize that both preaching and and listening, what you guys are doing right now, listening, is actually a form of spiritual warfare. Did you know that? Preaching and listening right now is an act of spiritual warfare. There is engagement that is happening with the truth of God's word. And and either your heart is taking it in and you're processing, you're you're praying even as I'm preaching, Lord, show me what you want me to see in this. You're 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 arguing with the truth of God's word. You're 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 bringing your heart before the Lord. You're you're saying, God, I am here to receive from you. Teach me, show me, disciple me. Or There are also those, there is no process like that happening at all. The word comes, it enters the ear, it falls on the surface of the heart, and it does nothing. And pretty easily, within just a few minutes of driving away from this place, they don't even remember what it is that's been said. That's the reality. Just like in Jesus' day, the enemy sits perched like a blackbird looking for those he can steal from, looking for those who sit in chairs or, or behind computer screens without concern for the weight of eternal truth that is being spoken here in the body of Christ. Never underestimate the reality that Satan is pleased when we only interact with the, word, with the word minimally. He is pleased when the seed of the gospel enters only our ears, but never actually enters our hearts. 
because of this, he can then come in and steal away what has been planted so that it never even has a chance to take root. Then there's the shallow heart, verses 16 and 17. These are the seeds sown on rocky soil. This person is the emotional responder. They, they hear the gospel seed, they receive it joyfully, but as the seed starts to take root, the roots never have a chance to really get that deep into the fabric of their heart. And as soon as the sun comes out, or, or hard times and trials or persecution hits, the message of the gospel withers away. Why? Because even though the gospel has, has moved them emotionally, it never got very deep. One of the greatest diagnostic tools in the life of a Christian is trials and persecution. You see, these difficulties reveal what is really in our hearts concerning the kingdom. Trials show us where our hope really lies. Do, do we love and do we follow Jesus because he is worthy and because his kingdom is the ultimate super reality? Or is the king and the kingdom a means to a therapeutically more pleasant life? See, trials bring those questions to the surface. What's really in the soil of our hearts? Then there's the crowded heart, verses 18 and 19. The crowded heart. These are the seeds sown among the thorns. This person has too many other competing seeds growing in their hearts. They receive the word of the gospel, and it begins growing. But other values crowd it out, and it never actually bears fruit. Jesus tells us what these competing seeds are. They are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. I love that last category there, the desires for other things. It's sort of a, a junk drawer category. You guys have a junk drawer in your house? The, the catch-all for anything that's on the counters? It's filled with like rubber bands and old pens and tacks and bubble gum and whatever else, right? This is a junk drawer category here. And he just simply says, it, it could be anything. It could be, it could be any one of a number of desires. Fame, comfort, the American dream, retirement, whatever, you name it. Regardless, the end result is this. The other competing values in their lives keep them from living for the kingdom. The seed of the kingdom is something that they receive and it begins to grow, but in the end, their lives never actually produce fruit for the enjoyment of the sower. This week during our sermon review, Brent reminded us of this quote from C.S. Lewis. Let me read it to you. He says this, C.S. Lewis writing. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Ultimately, what's happening here is the soil of the heart of this person has all these other competing desires, but those are lesser desires. They're mud pies when you've been promised a day at the beach. And Jesus is saying, those thorns, those weeds will grow up and choke out the fruitfulness of the word of God. When this heart is given too much weight to the temporary cares of this world, they begin to grow and choke out the eternal values of the kingdom. And lastly, we have the fruitful heart. Verse 20, seeds are sown on the tilled soil. Jesus concludes with the final heart soil that he simply calls the good soil. 
They hear the word of the gospel message, they accept it, and they bear fruit. It becomes buried deep into the fabric of their lives. It's guarded and nurtured. It's increasing. It's growing. The message of the gospel then begins to take over the soil. The picture is so powerful. If you've ever grown a garden, you know what it's like to watch bare dirt, right? Just bare land with nothing growing out. You pulled all the weeds out. It's just dirt. And then you come along with these little tiny specks and you plant them in the soil. And the next thing you know, after a few months, you can't see the dirt anymore. Because the garden is filled with the fruit. The seeds overrun the garden. They increase and bear fruit and bring joy to the sower. Now, some plants are more fruitful than others, but the gardener, the gardener is grateful for all the fruit that is provided. So Jesus' explanation of this parable is, is a profound reality. The sower has intended for the seed to produce something. The seed is not planted in vain. The seed is cast everywhere, that's true. But the real joy is where the seed produces fruit. Jesus is saying to the disciples, the message of the kingdom is to be scattered into all hearts. But the conditions of the heart can keep it from growing. Let me say something to you. The crowds that gathered to hear Jesus were not the measure of success. The crowds that gathered to hear Jesus, the many people were gathered on the shore, the ones the disciples were sort of excited about, look at how popular our movement is, look at how big our kingdom, our, our, our thing is growing, look at how amazing this is. That is not what excited Jesus. He's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like a sower casting seed into all kinds of soil. What excites Jesus, what makes him happy, what brings him joy are the lives lived for the kingdom, the fruitful lives. This is why the shift that we're making here at Heritage is, is, is such an important one. It's so crucial. You know, it's the heart of the, our leadership here to do all that we can to en- encourage the lives Uh, encourage the lives that are represented here in our church to bear fruit for God's enjoyment, for God's glory. And we have no desire to fill the gym or online live streams with professional hearers. These people are good at listening to sermons. That's not our interest at all. We're praying that God will work through our labor here at Heritage in such a way that the kingdom of God takes root deep into the hearts of our lives and that it begins to grow and just grow and just like take over the way that we love each other, the way that we interact with our neighbor, the the way that our marriages work, the way that our parenting happens, the way that we care about the lost, the way that we engage with mission. We want the seed of the kingdom to so take root in our hearts That it takes over our lives. That it becomes the ultimate reality that we all live into. That's what we're longing to see. Now in light of that, would you pause for just a moment? You you do just a, a brief exercise with me. Would you pause? Close your eyes just for one second. Right now, from the heart, let's take an opportunity to self-examine a little. As you hear me talk about this vision for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, where the, the seed of the kingdom takes over your life and every part of your life is affected by it, what is taking place in your heart? Does it just sort of sit on the surface? It really doesn't matter to you? It doesn't mean anything? Or, or perhaps, is there, is there an emotional response that makes you want to leap for joy? You're like, Jeremy, you're so enthusiastic. It's great to hear you. But you also are tempering that even now because you know, <laughs> I've been emotional about truth before and, and it does nothing in my life. You're already calculating the cost of what 
God might be calling you to if you lived for the kingdom. Or perhaps the things that rise to the surface are a whole host of other cares. Yeah, yeah, but Jeremy, I know you want us to live in this reality, but what, what about money? What about my plans to live the life that I want? The life here and now, what about that? What about my American dream? What, what about my quest for fame or success? What about my desires to live for the things that I want? Or, right now, from the heart, does your heart leap at the hope that the message of the kingdom could so work its way into the soil of your heart that it could take over everything in your life? Does it excite you to think that God would delight in your life, that he would bring fruit some 30, 60, or 100-fold ways that you didn't even imagine were possible? Does it excite you to think that God could use your life in that way? How you hear this message speaks to the condition of your heart. And right now, in the privacy of your heart, would you take just a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the truth is? Just in the quietness of your heart, just, God, show me which soil am I? Where do I land? May the Holy Spirit bring application and give direction to you. Ways that you can take action as the conditions of our hearts are laid open before the Lord. Well, you can join me again, open your eyes. Let's continue to look at the teaching of Jesus as he explains these parables to his disciples. Hearing and sharing, verses 21 to 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. But if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, or to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus says here that an oil lamp is brought out into a room to give light to the room. That's the purpose of the lamp. It makes no sense to put it under, under a, a basket. A lamp deserves a lampstand. You don't put it under a bed. Now, Jesus' humor in this passage would not be lost on the disciples. Jesus is, is he's being funny, but he's making a powerful point. If you, if an oil lamp or these little clay lamps, they had a, a little dab of oil inside of them and then a wick that would come out the end. And they normally put it on a shelf in the house or in a wealthy house on a lampstand. Okay. You would never put a lit flame underneath of a basket or underneath their beds were made of straw most of the time. You never put a lit flame underneath of a straw bed or a basket. Jesus is telling them if you do that, it will catch fire. Right? Jesus is saying the message of the kingdom seems, seems veiled now. But it's going to catch fire. The mysterious message of the kingdom will be revealed and it will come to light. The masking that Jesus is doing through the parables now will not be forever. What is being shown to the disciples now is intended to be shared and revealed in fullness. That's what he's saying. And then next comes this exhortation. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Uh, maybe a simple way to say that is that Jesus is, is giving an invitation to anyone. He's saying to them, if you really want to understand this, listen carefully. And then in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear with what measure you use. It will be measured to you. And still more will be added for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus seems to be saying, look, what I'm sharing with you now is meant to be shared with others. It is the message that is meant to be used. And to the degree that you use it, it will increase. It will be more useful. 
But if you just hear it and do nothing with it, even what you have, what, even what's been revealed to you will be unuseful to you. So what's the point that Jesus is making? He's saying that the message of the kingdom is meant to be shared. The more that you share it, the bigger it becomes. It's meant to give light to the room. Make use of it. Don't let it lie there. Share it. Right now, my son is in, um, he's in Phoenix at a college. And uh, it, it's a tech university where he's learning to be a mechanic. He did not enjoy his high school experience when it came to the academic side. He just did not like all the homework. It seemed disconnected from reality. But he's a straight-A student right now. Because what he learns in a book, he immediately does working on a car in the lab. That's been the most meaningful thing. Listen, if you hear and there's no application, there's no sharing, there's no like interacting with how the truth intersects with our lives, it will mean nothing to you. And that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. We cannot be constipated Christians who take in, never give out. We can't be that. It's toxic for us to live in this way. The New Testament goes on to say this kind of knowledge puffs up, makes us proud, makes us arrogant, makes us feel like we're better than the others around us. Then there's the last two parables, the hearing and, this hearing and growing section. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and, it ri- and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Then the parable of the mustard seed, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when, it, when sown in the ground is the smallest of the seeds on the earth. When it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. In the last two parables given here, Jesus focuses more on the growth of the kingdom I love the comment that David Guzik makes in his commentary on this section. He says, the farmer, when he, the farmer, sees the seed sprouted in the morning, he has just worked as a partner with God. Man has done what he can do, plant the seed. And God has done what only he can do, growing the seed. This shows that the word of God works invisibly within us. God promised that his word would accomplish the purpose for which it stands in Isaiah 55, 11. So when you hear the word, it works in you. Even as you sleep, it works in you spiritually. It works in a way that is invisible to our eyes. I like that. The farmer does the work and trusts God for the miracle. He does what he can do and trusts God with only what he can do. Folks, we can't do the supernatural but we're invited and even commanded by God to do the natural. We share, God causes the increase, and then one day he'll come and collect the harvest. Now in the second parable, the parable of the mustard seed, he talks about this small seed that grows into a a giant mustard tree. Mustard seeds can grow into a bush that's 10 to 15 feet tall. And this indeed is the way that the kingdom of God continues to grow even until this day. I wonder what the disciples would think, even now from heaven, right? So they look down, like, oh, man, we were just 12 guys. And look at heritage, and look all around the world, all the people gathering in the name of Jesus. Look at what God has done. Then Jesus says something that seems like a, a weird turn. He says that this tree becomes a nesting place for the birds of the air. Two possible interpretations One is that even an unbelieving world benefits from the existence of the church. The church becomes so big that it becomes a blessing to the whole world. That's one possibility. The second is that you'll remember in the parable of the soils, uh, it uses birds to represent Satan. 
And, and the other possibility here is that the church will be big, but it'll have problems. The enemy will find branches in the church to nest in. And if we apply this interpretation that Jesus gives in the parable of the sower and to this passage, the outcome is slightly more grim. The church, indeed, to this day, has problems. There's ministers that fail. There's the marrying of politics, the gospel. A mistake that conflates the temporary kingdoms of this world with the eternal kingdom of God. There's perversions of doctrine that lead people into error. The enemy, for sure, has found branches to nest in. There's no doubt about it. Yet the kingdom of God will continue to grow because the growth is from God. Mitch, if you want to grab your team and have them come up. As I finish, a couple of quick notes. The church has its problems and will continue to have them until the final harvest. However, our job is just to hear and receive the gospel and to share it with others. Our job is to hear, receive, share, and grow until Jesus comes back. That's our job. That is the life cycle of a disciple. One day, the Lord will come. He'll put in the sickle. He'll reap the harvest. He'll gather the saints. The world will be set to rights. But in the meantime, our job is to hear the gospel. Let it work its way into our hearts. Live out of the gospel. Share it with others and continue to grow until Jesus comes back. Hear. Share. Grow. And then repeat. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us, train us as disciples through the use of it. May our hearts be fertile soil for your eternal work. In the name of Jesus, amen.